Before beginning my sermon to you on this Feast of the Dormition of the Blessed Virgin Mary, I'd like to thank formally Father Wilcox for inviting those of us from St. Francis to be with you here today and his allowing me the great privilege of preaching the sermon, which will be drawn from the text of the Gospel according to Luke in the first chapter and the twelfth chapter of St. John's Revelation, which you heard read just a few minutes ago. It is a wonderful thing to find other members of the faithful who are committed to Anglican worship and upholding the Catholic faith. In the short time I've known Father Wilcox and his wonderful bride Tanya, I can say one thing is a certainty that St. Joseph Parish brings them much joy. And you are to be commended for your steadfastness in a world that mounts much pressure to conform to the standards of the world, but instead that you are following Christ and being transformed by the gospel. Now, as we turn to the message before going Further, I want to acknowledge that I hear many people cast doubts upon the idea and even criticize the practice of giving honor to Mary. It is my prayer that by the end of this message, you'll be able to answer such critics as to why it is important and proper to give Mary the honor that she is due. Today, as we take time to celebrate the Dormition of the Blessed Virgin Mary, And this observation, also known as the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, regardless of which name you use, the purpose is the same, to recognize the importance of Mary and commemorate her death and her being carried into heaven by the angels. Some people mistakenly believe that the teaching of the Assumption is that Mary did not die an earthly death. That is not taught in the Anglican Church. In fact, it's not taught by any of the major churches. Uh, Most frequently you hear that comment made as to Roman Catholic doctrine, but it is not taught there either. What is taught is this, that the new Eve, full of grace of the Holy Spirit, has been preserved from sin and the corruption of death. Not death itself. The official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church and what is recognized in larger circles is that Mary's body did not undergo the corruption associated with death. In fact, St. John Paul, back in 1997 when he was Pope John Paul II, explained it like this. The mother is not superior to the son who underwent death giving it a new meaning and changing it into a means of salvation, involved in Christ's redemptive work and associated with his saving sacrifice, Mary was able to share in his suffering and death. To share in Christ's resurrection, Mary had first to share in his death. The New Testament provides no information on the circumstances of Mary's death. Whatever from the physical point of view was the organic biological course or cause of the end of her bodily life, it can be said that for Mary, the passage from this life to the next was the full development of grace and glory so that no death 
can ever be so fittingly described is a dormition as hers. I bring this to your attention because there are so many people out there who like to make claims about what other denominations teach. And frequently this practice is to demonstrate how those denominations are wrong. And in order to make it easier to prove that they're wrong, people simply make stuff up out of thin air and then disprove what was made up because it was never true to begin with. Now then, for us who are here today, we're about to celebrate the Dormition, the gentle death of Mary, and how the Blessed Virgin is unique among all humanity in the Kingdom of God. To do this, we'll take a look at the passages that were read earlier, that from Revelation, from John, and that from the first chapter of Luke. But before we do, I need to invite your attention to the sixth chapter of the second book of the prophet Samuel, where we read, The ark of the Lord came into the city of David, and King David was leaping and dancing before the Lord. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished the offering of the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. David leaped and danced before the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant is the presence of the Lord. David leaped and danced in the presence of the Lord. Furthermore, also in 2 Samuel, David says, Why did the ark of the Lord visit me? With these details brought to your attention, let's look again at a portion of our gospel passage. From the gospel according to St. Luke in the first chapter, beginning in the 39th verse, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zechariah and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spake with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Whence is this time the mother of the Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. When you add the details that the wording of the account of the Lord becoming present in the ark in the tabernacle of the tent of meeting says that the tent was overshadowed. You'll find that in Exodus chapter 40. And the story of Mary becoming pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit in order to bring the presence of the Lord in the person of Jesus, that says that Mary was overshadowed by the power of the Lord. That also in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. We see clearly that Luke is teaching us through these corollaries, through these corresponding and, and matching wording, that Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant. That in and of itself tells that Mary 
it tells us that Mary is unlike any other person. There was simply not a day that God the Father said, I want to send my son into the world who shall be his mother. He wasn't out on the search. Was it that God was simply finding somebody or anybody that would appear to be a good choice? The archangel Gabriel did not go from house to house pronouncing the opportunity to give birth to the infant Jesus and Mary was the one who happened to say yes after who knows how many other people said no, I'm not willing to be an unwed mother for God or anybody else. That's not the way it happened. Mary had been chosen for the task before time as we know it began. Remember how Gabriel greeted Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now that's from the English Standard Version. It's a particular translation that I prefer, but we see it in multiple ways. King James read it reads as follows, And the angel came to her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. Or in another translation, the angel said to her, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And then there is, And the angel came to her and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Now in all of these translations, it doesn't matter if it said highly favored, it doesn't matter if it says full of grace, they're still translating the same Word, And the word is a phrase in a word. The word in question is ke cherit omine. Literally meaning having been graced by God. It is a verb. It's a passive verb. What that means is it means that God is the one who is filling Mary with the grace. The verb is also a perfect verb, meaning that it is a completed action which has an ongoing and perpetual effect. And what that means is that it has happened, but it is happening, and it's going to continue to happen uninterrupted forever. So what we have is, in these words... Hail, full of grace, the angel saying to Mary, You have been graced, you are graced, you will be continued, you will continue to be graced. God's gracing action upon Mary began prior to Mary ever coming into human existence. From the very moment of her birth, Mary was already filled with God's grace. Now, some of you have already started putting a few of these pieces together and are asking yourself, is he saying that Mary was uniquely chosen before she was ever even born? Is he saying that God was actually using Mary in his plan for redemption prior to the day Gabriel made that annunciation roughly 2,000 years ago? 
in ancient Israel. Before I answer your questions, let me ask you a couple things. Did the entire history of mankind sinning against God, beginning with Adam and Eve, occur before the birth of Mary? Did the rebellion of Satan in heaven occur before the birth of Mary? Was Satan and his band of rebellious angels turned demons swept out of heaven before the birth of Mary? Did Satan appear in the garden to tempt Adam and Eve and all of the demonic activity we read about in the Old Testament occur before the birth of Mary? Now, I feel rather confident that you have answered yes to all of these questions. Just in case you haven't, I do invite my own parishioners to me later and all those from St. Joseph to meet with Father Wilcox for a review on Old Testament versus New Testament and the timeline of humanity. But being confident that you all answered yes, with that confidence, let us look again to the passage from the Revelation of John. In that passage we read, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems upon his heads. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And Bible scholars agree that this description of the red dragon is a description of Satan in his fight to take over the kingdom of God. In fact, it doesn't take a Bible scholar. You just continue to read further in that chapter of Revelation and, and the distinct connection dragon to serpent is made in the text. Furthermore, the sweeping of the one-third of the angels out of heaven and casting them to earth, those are the angels who joined the rebellion that are now demons. We have St. John the Evangelist writing this while in exile on the Isle of Patmos. Roughly the year 95, 62 years after the death of Jesus. But what is going on is that the Lord God has allowed John to see an event in heaven that happened long before his time, before any human's time. John sees Satan and his demonic followers forced out of heaven and cast to earth. But wait, as every good infomercial says, there is more. What more can there be? What else does John see? Well, John sees this. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. In case you have ever wondered why the various paintings and statues of the Blessed Virgin Mary often show her standing on a crescent, surrounded by a sunburst or crowned with stars, it all comes from that passage right there. So she being with child, travailing in birth, pained to be delivered, the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child 
and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. The dragon wants to devour the man-child. The dragon wants to devour Christ, who we know is born of the woman Mary. Born of the woman Mary as part of the heavenly warfare that occurred just before Satan and his demons were cast out of heaven. Cast from heaven to earth, where they proceeded to tempt Adam and Eve into sin many generations prior to Mary's birth and life on earth. And all of this is possible because of the very simple fact that God is free from the bounds of time. If that were not so, we would not have the other passage from Revelation, which describes Jesus as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We know his crucifixion occurred on April 3rd, AD 33. If you want to know how, we'll talk about it when we're having snacks after the service. We, but we do, we can track that it's April 3rd, A.D. 33. Because the first Easter was April 5th, A.D. 33. We could not have a crucifixion which occurred at a specific time and date, yet Jesus is described as the Lamb before, or Slam slain before the foundation of the world. We have a freedom in God, in His kingdom, from our time for all of salvation history to occur in an ongoing manner. It is why we are, we are present at the sacrifice in the Eucharist, but we remember the crucifixion. We remember the crucifixion because it happened we're present at the sacrifice because it's ongoing. In addition to seeing God free from the, from the restrictions of time when describing Jesus as the Lamb slain from, the, from the foundation of the world, we also would not have Jesus telling the Jews who were confronting him before Abraham was, I am. And the many other passages which demonstrate that God, unlike us, is free from the constraints of time. And God used that freedom from the constraints of time to use Mary even before she was born to be part of Jesus' being as our creed says, begotten of the Father before all worlds, or in other language used frequently by theologians, Jesus is eternally begotten. This is how, in the kingdom of heaven, Mary brought forth a man-child, and her child was caught up unto God and to His throne. Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. And then, when the time came, Mary brought forth a man-child, Jesus, who was physically begotten in the womb of Mary, the Ark of the New Covenant, and John, as did David before him, leaped and danced in the presence of the Lord. Now we can answer that question, why is it important to give honor to Mary? To do so, we take into consideration a few points. Who else 
has been graced before his or her birth? Who else has been graced in a way that is full and complete and ongoing reality? Who else was, in God's great freedom from time, used prior to his or her own birth to be part of the history of salvation? Who else preserved impurity in order to be the ark of the new and eternal covenant? Who else is so honored by God himself to receive a crown made from the very stars of heaven? When we think of Mary, let us all join our voices with the archangel Gabriel and Mary's cousin Elizabeth when they say, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, that we might ever have and know and be saved by your Son, Jesus. Amen.